Hallelujah. How's everybody doing this evening? Man, there's such a, a presence here. Is everybody aware of that? If you're not, if you're not, just uh, just take a second. Can we? Let's just take a second, real quick. One more time, if you would, just let's just lift our hands one more time. Oh, Father. Oh, thank you that you're more than a book. That you're more than rules. You're so many things. Thank you that you're my creator, my sustainer, my father, my friend, my leader, my guide, my teacher, my salvation, my grace to walk. I thank you that there's nothing that you've left out of my walk. Nothing that I need. From the bread I eat to the understanding I need to the decisions I have to make. You left nothing out of your provision for me. I'm so grateful that you've given us this gospel that works not just here in Marshalltown, Iowa, but it works in the worst places in the world. It works in the toughest situations in the world. And I thank you, Father, for consistency and a grounding in each one of our faiths that we aren't moved by what we see, but we are only moved by who you are. And I thank you, Father, for settling in each one of us a peace that we can only receive from you. I thank you for your presence that's here right now. That even even in what is taught, I thank you that that presence stays, that it ministers to the hearts and minds of the people, to mine, to our situations. Father, I know that right now in this room there are Countless circumstances and issues and prayers and questions and longings for calling and longings for purpose and longings to understand your word and longings for leadership. And Father, I thank you that in a way that no one man can do, you come and settle on each one of their hearts right now and minister the answers to every circumstance and question. And giving them a peace that even if they can't see the whole picture, they can trust in the place that you've set them in. And they can trust to take the step that you're telling them to take. And Father, I just thank you that you're working all things together for good to those that love you and are called according to your purposes. And I thank you, Father, for that love that we each have for you, that it grows and abounds and that we would continue in your word and keep your commandments. In Jesus' name, everybody said, Amen. Amen. Praise you, Jesus. Hallelujah. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Father. You know, I think... Uh, I think there's a an experience, an experiencing God 
Everybody say experience. There is an experiencing God that needs to be restored to the church. Because uh, it's really easy to boil down our relationship with God to, I don't know how to say it, but but if you're really going to, here's a good one. If you're really going to honor His Word, you're going to experience Him in daily life. Everybody with me? And I think too often we hold this up and we say God has spoken. And He has. But we're here for a reason too. Or He'd just take us. And there's a plan and a calling that He has for each and every one of us. There's a purpose that He's given you. And there's experiences that He wants you to have with who He is. And there are experiences that intersect your daily life. They intersect your relationship with Him. And I love reading about what God has done. It bolsters my faith. It encourages me. It lets me know who I'm dealing with. Right? Shows me His character. Shows me His faithfulness. His consistency. But do you know that God is still the same faithful, consistent, involved? Everybody say involved. He is as much involved in caring about what happens to His body today. As He did back in the day when you read about the Israelites going through the promised land. He is as much involved and interactive and responding to your prayers and responding to your heart and wanting to work with you today. And that pillar of fire and that pillar of cloud that led them. That interaction that happened between them on a daily basis. Well, they didn't have to. They, they lived in fear. A holy fear of God. You know, you read about it and they said, Moses, you talk to him. <laughs> right. You talk to him. We, we trust that you're hearing him. There was no doubt in any of those people of mine. They were dealing with the God. Amen. And. Uh, and I think there's an element of church where we've just kind of like, well, the book's been written. It's settled and it is. Amen. But he cares. Don't don't think he's done with the story. The story's not over. Amen. He's just as much a part of what's happening in the earth today as he's ever been. He's ever been. And I think there's a, a mindset that creeps into the church and it's a deadness. And it's a faithlessness and it's a lack of expectancy that keeps us from experiencing. And there is a healthy side to practicing Christianity that isn't about just book learning. It's about experience. It is experiencing God for yourself. And there is no amount of reading you can do that will substitute for it. There is no amount of church services you can attend that will substitute for it. You need, everybody say need. You need to have the kind of experiences where you hear his voice for yourself. And he talks to you and you hear him and he affirms to you what's going on in your life. And I can tell you, he is a part of our daily routine. And the days that he's not, it's not his fault. It's my fault. (laughs) Everybody with me. I mean, we rely on him. And more and more... the more he kind of deconstructs my assumptions of how we're supposed to live and what we're supposed to do and where we're supposed to be and 
what we're supposed to be doing. All the, I keep having to turn to him more and more and more and say, uh, okay, so what is it we're doing now and why are we doing it? And help, help me understand, you know, that's the way it should be because because you walk by faith and not by sight. And I think anybody that's going to continue following God is going to continue to have their assumptions challenged. Assumptions. Everybody say assumptions. Things you think you know, things you think you can do, things you know. They, you say you can't teach an old dog new tricks. If you follow God, He's going to teach everybody new tricks. <laughs> and, and I tell you what, it's uh, it's exciting and it's challenging. But but that's why God says He says you got to stay humble, right? You have to stay humble. Can we turn to Can we turn to James? <clears throat> James chapter 4. James chapter 4. <laughs> We're going to start here in verse 4. It's a little bit drier up here than it is in Tulsa. <laughs> now he's talking to the church here. Okay. He says, you adulterers and adulteresses, know you not that friendship of the world is enmity with God? Whosoever, therefore, will be a friend of the world is the enemy of God. Now, we're not talking about saving people. We're talking about the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes and the pride of life. We're talking about we're seeking first our own life. We're building our own kingdom here. We got selfishness in our mind. We got self-gratification on our mind. We love the world. We're, and it's the, it's the single biggest idol we have in America. My life. My life. Okay. <clears throat> and that's, that's where we risk committing adultery. Adulteries of entertainment. Adulteries of self-gratification. Adulteries of wasted time. I, I think I mention this almost in every service just because it just boggles my mind. Do you know that the average young person spends about six to eight hours a day on their phone? You can do the math to that six eight hours a day, and I, I I always I always compare it to this. Do you know it takes fifteen minutes a day, five days a week to go through the entire Bible once a year. Fifteen minutes, five days a week, you'll get through the Bible once a year. Well, you you spend you spend one sixth of the time most people spend on their phones. You'd get through the Bible three times a year. You want to talk about idols in the heart there. You just go down that rabbit trail. OK, but that's not I don't think we're doing that today, but we kind of are. OK, because let, let me just because you're going to be faced with choices in following God. Everybody say choices and those choices lead to continued growth or they lead to plateaus. And you can camp out on those plateaus for years and years. And then all of a sudden you get bored and you get antsy and God says, are you ready to go? And it's been five, six years and you say, yeah, I'm ready to go. <laughs> and then you grow some more, but you don't have to wait five or six years to grow some more. Amen. You don't have to camp out on those plateaus. You can stay growing. You stay going. You stay obedient. You stay sensitive to his presence. Amen. <clears throat> 
Do you think that the scripture saith in vain, the spirit that dwelleth in us lusteth to envy? But he giveth more grace. Wherefore he saith, God resisteth the proud, but giveth grace unto the humble. Submit yourselves therefore to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. You see how when you put yourself in a place of submission to authority, which is in Christ, that that the devil has no way to get a hold of your life. But when you step out in pride and when you step out in assumption and selfish ambition and you start serving your own self, that's where the enemy lives. That's his kingdom right there. The kingdom of my own kingdom. I am my own God. And that was Adam's original sin, right? You're going to be like God yourself. And that's and when we step out in that pride, God says, I can't you can't resist that the devil yourself. But when you stay in a place of submission and humility, you stay you stay resisting the devil and he will flee from you then. But do not think that you can profess God and live for yourself and then resist the devil. Everybody with me. And we have a we have a church that professes God lives for themselves and can't resist the devil. Okay, but you're going to you're going to know them by their fruit. Amen. Do you think that the scripture saith in vain, the spirit that dwelleth in them lusteth to envy, but he giveth more grace. Wherefore, he God says he resists the proud, but he gives grace unto the humble. Submit yourselves, therefore, to God, resist the devil and he will flee from you. Draw nigh to God and he will draw nigh to you. Amen. Do you see the response? I guarantee you, every time you draw nigh to him, even if it's after been a season of unfaithfulness, a season of separation, a season of sin, whatever the case may be, if you draw nigh to him, repent and humble yourself, he will guaranteed 100 percent. No questions asked. Draw nigh to you. You understand? Okay. Draw nigh to God and he will draw nigh to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, ye double-minded. What's the double-mindedness? I love the world. I love God. I love the world. I love God. Okay. That's adultery. Everybody say adultery. That's the spiritual adultery that's in the church that causes us to remain in a weak position. Amen. Draw nigh to God and he will draw nigh to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Be afflicted and mourn and weep. And let your laughter... Well, God wants you sad. No, let that pride, let that haughty spirit, let that proud heart that resists God, let that laughter be turned to mourning. Okay? Let that laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to heaviness. Humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord. And He... Everybody say He... He'll lift you up. See, when you lift yourself up, you're in pride and you can't resist the devil. But when you humble yourself, he's going to be the one that lifts you up. I've been working through the Old Testament in this first part of the year. And if there was, I mean, it's really the only story in the Old Testament. You just see, I mean, you read through uh, Kings and, and Chronicles and they just go back and forth generation to generation. This guy followed the Lord. He did what was right in the sight of God and God blessed him. And then the next guy didn't. And the next guy didn't. And the next guy didn't. And every gener- every couple generations, there'd be somebody else that would humble themselves, restore the law, restore the covenants, serve the one true God, get rid of the balls, get rid of the ashtrim, get rid of all of these idols in the high places. 
and God would come back and restore the covenant. And God was always faithful to draw nigh to those that were drawn nigh to him. It's the only story in the Old Testament. And see, when God came in Christ, he put that law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus on the inside of you. And he's dealing with each and every one of you individually. Okay, he does have a collective body, but he's not dealing with a people identity. He's not dealing with a single ethnicity. He's dealing with you. He comes and chastises you for things that only you know about. And it's great if somebody can come in and give you a word and confirm, yeah, God's dealing with you about that. But the idea is God doesn't have to do that. The idea is that God can come in and deal with you on an individual basis and tell you the same thing he was telling Israel as a whole. He comes and tells you individually, you need to obey my commandments. You need to turn back to me. When did we stop our relationship? When did we stop seeking him first? And see, when we hit those plateaus, sometimes we'll get one of the biggest problems that Israel had. And I feel like it's still an issue that we have. And, and, and we need to be clued in on it. Okay. <laughs> one of the biggest fallouts in the Old Testament was after the reign of Solomon. Because David set up a precedent. He, he, he set up a precedent to have a heart that followed God. And after every one of these generations where these these good, godly men set up good times, everybody said good times, these good, godly men got rid of all the things that were causing the sin, causing the corruption, causing all of the problems that caused them to cry out to God in the first place. And they would set up a place of abundance. Everybody say abundance. They would set up a place of prosperity and a place of healing and the covenant would be restored. And then the people heart would wax cold and they'd get indifferent and they'd let the law slip. And you wouldn't see, you, you do not see in the Old Testament hardly two or three kings in succession that really kept the law. It was only about after about, usually only one, maybe two. And then they all let it go because those good times. And it was the one thing that Moses warned all the children of Israel about. Do not come into the promised land and forget who brought you there. <laughs> Do not once you've got all of the corn in your barn and once you've got all the wine stored up and once you've got all of this abundance, don't you forget who brought you into this land. And, and, and as Christians, we hit these plateaus where God gives us a little bit of our prayers answered. We get what we think we need. We get a good job. We got enough money in the bank. You know, everything's lining up and we stop seeking him because all of our prayers are answered. And, and, and we should not let that be our precedent for why we have a relationship with God. Do you think it's a do you think do you know God wants real relationship with you? Like real reciprocating relationship with you. What kind of relationship would it be to you if you had a son or a daughter that only came to you when everything was falling apart? <laughs> you know what I mean? I need a thousand dollars. I haven't heard from you in five years. <laughs> I got all these problems and you know, you love your son or daughter. You're going to help them. You're going to patch them up. You're going to give them good advice. You're going to set them on their feet. You're going to turn them around once they're all healed and they're set up on their feet. 
And, and I would hate to think that our relationship with God would only consist of prayer requests when we need things. Everybody with me? Yes. That can't be what defines relationship with God. God help me. God help me. And he, he wants to. He is here for you. Amen. But, but we have to be a people. We have to be a body that seeks him. Not because we need something all the time. Even though he's our source for everything. Don't misunderstand me. But there has to be a heart that's birthed in us. That seeks him because we love him. The way he loved us. He set his heart towards us while we were still sinners. He gave Christ for us when there was no guarantee of any kind of return. Amen. And, and if I only seek him in the bad times and then the good times come. If I only seek him when I've got issues and my car is falling apart. My relationship with God is not really a relationship so much as it is a complaining session. Amen. He wants real relationship with you. And it is where God is experienced. It is where this becomes real to you. It becomes real to you. It becomes the Israelites. They lived the scriptures. The apostles lived the scriptures. And I'm challenging you today to live the scriptures. Because... It's one thing to read through the experiences and to believe by faith that God is like that. But it does something entirely different for you when you live by faith and he proves it to you in your own life. And he wants to do that. There is a wrong standard that many ministers, I believe, have set where they say, well, the word has been written. You reference that God has spoken. And what they do by omission is they de-emphasize the experience that God wants you to have in your daily life. Okay, they de-emphasize by omission and they say, well, God has spoken. You don't need to hear him today. Absolutely not. That is a lie from the pit of hell. And you are cutting off the head from speaking to his body. Because if you believe this, if you believe this, he's speaking to you today. He's speaking to you about your situations. He is the head that is still attached to the body. And I guarantee you there needs to be communication back and forth. I guarantee you there is still a plan. (laughs) we're not just writing it out on the past. Amen. I'm not de-emphasizing the word. Spend much time in the word. You know that. I I just gave you, put your phone down and read your Bible. Unless your phone is your Bible, then make sure that you're still reading your Bible while you're on your phone, right? Amen. But I, but I, I really feel this push. I feel this push that to challenge you to experience God in your daily life. Everybody with me. There has to be moments. There has to be moments. Where he comes and visits you. And it's you. And it's just you. There has to be moments where he shares things with you. That it builds your faith that he's real in my life. Because I don't think anybody in here is challenging the validity of the word, but where we get challenged is God has a plan for me. God is talking to me. God wants me to be a part of his army. God has big things for me. He does. And he wants to build you up and give you a a, a trust, a trust in him. 
And I can't tell you the times where he has. I mean, I could just, I could spend all evening and I know many of you could. We could all spend all evening about how God has led us through things. And, and uh, I'm not trying to uh, just even small things, small things. <laughs> I keep hearing this and I'm just going to share it. And just I, I hesitate because how small it is, but God cares and he wants to he wants to be part of your daily life. You know, when we were leaving, I don't know how many know this, but grandma's uh, grandma's. Let me take a drink of water real quick. <laughs> Hallelujah. Natalie's grandma passed away last week. Um, she was 87. And so we had to kind of make some last minute decisions. And then we were in an ice storm in Tulsa. And so we had the day we found out we had to leave. And, and so it's a nine hour drive to to Louisiana. Um, and the day we found out we had to leave and go. And so we got four kids now to pack for. We got us to pack for. We got a house to clean up. And we find out this morning. And then also, you know, I had Nathan kind of kind of text me and tell me or talk to me. He says, you know, you're getting we're getting snow and ice on Wednesday. You can't you can't wait. And I was like, well, we'll see, you know, because I'm from Iowa and I know how to drive in that stuff. <laughs> Everybody say amen. But I will tell you this. He was right on this one. OK. And, and I and I felt a check, too. And, and the Lord got us out of there in time. If, if we had not left then, we would have we could have missed it. We, we would have at least been real late. OK. And, and the ice was real bad and it didn't it didn't melt until Friday. So that was three days we would have been delayed. That's one way God helped us that day. Second way God helped us that day is uh, I was not feeling all that hot that day. <laughs> And we were packing up and we got all the kids stuff and we had done a miracle. I mean, when you get four kids packed in a couple of hours and you got the house clean and you're not feeling all that hot, it's a miracle. But in my confusion and just, you know, you're just on autopilot. I threw the house key away in the garbage. <laughs> I did. Yes, I did. Because there was a lot going on and I had some garbage in my hands and I had the house key and I threw it in the garbage. <laughs> so we got all the kids in the van we got all the stuff in the van. We got the video playing in the van. And in my mind, the clock's ticking, you know, because kids in the van, we need to go. <laughs> it's a nine hour road trip. I ain't going to sit there another half hour. We need to go, you know. And I'm walking around retracing all my steps third time through trying to find the key to the house so we can lock up. So so nobody breaks in and steals your stuff because that's, that's the thing in Tulsa, you know. And um, <laughs> not like here, not like in liberal Marshalltown or Melbourne. Anyway, I threw the key in the garbage. I didn't know that. I, why would I do that? I had, it didn't cross my mind at all. I was looking everywhere. And Nat finally came in. And Nat was helping me look for the key. And she said, where'd you go? And I said, well, I did this and I did that. And we're looking for the key. And she, So we were still looking. And all of a sudden, she just burst out laughing. And she said, Richard... The Lord told me where you put the key. <laughs> I said, where did I put it? <laughs> she says, you threw it away. <laughs> no joke, no joke. With that, with zero information, zero cues from me. I didn't tell her, well, I went to the garbage can. I threw some garbage away. Why would I throw the key? Away? She said, the Lord told me you threw the key away. And she looked in the garbage and it was there in the bottom of the can. 
And I said, praise God, my wife can hear God really good. <laughs> she can. She's really... <laughs> and I'm telling you, he's, he's real. He's there. I, I know everybody knows that. I know everybody believes that. But I feel like he's way underutilized. You know what I mean? And we get lulled to sleep with with boring things like Netflix. And (laughs) we get lulled to sleep with boring things like football, this life. What's it going to matter how many football games you see when you're standing up there in front of God and you've got all of eternity? All that's going to matter is, were you obedient? All that's going to matter is the relationships you stewarded for the kingdom. All that's going to matter is the time you spent in fellowship with him and the time that you helped restore the body and restore people to him. That's all that's going to matter. Now, I'm not don't get religious on me. I I love doing stuff. I love to go fishing. I love watching football. I love doing all those things. But they better not be idols in your heart. And they better not be steering you away to plateaus where you just get lulled to sleep and complacent and you reach one of those places where the Israelites reached and all of a sudden you find out you haven't been keeping God's law. And I don't mean the Old Testament law. I mean that he's speaking to you. You've not been obedient to your calling. You've not been obedient to the things he's asked you to do. You don't know what you're called to do. And when I say that, I feel I feel the weight of that to some people. You don't know what you're called to do. That's okay. Everybody with me. That's okay. What isn't okay is for you to be spending time in church and knowing God for 30 years and you still don't know what you're called to do. That's not okay. And I will put this out there as a formula, if I could put it that way. I guarantee you, if you make your relationship with God a priority, you will know what you're called to do. You will know it. You will not be able to miss it. He has a way of leading you and you, you, your mind might play tricks on you. Your mind might cause you to doubt sometimes, but he has a way of leading those that are humble. You hear me? If you're humble and you're not in pride and you're not trying to make your own way, he has a way of leading you. You trust him. You might not figure out all the details, but you trust him. He knows how to lead you. I know that that's how he's led me because there have been so many situations where I have been in utter confusion about the details, but I have remained humble. And I guarantee you, he will lead the humble. He will teach the humble. He will give grace to the humble. And so if there's one thing I can challenge you to do tonight that I feel like is really on my heart and it has everything to do with staying in right relationship with God is to stay humble. Everybody say humble. Humble means, humble means keeping Keeping those things that draw you away from him in check. Humble means keeping your prayer life and your and your time in the word of a priority. Humble means staying connected with the body and not being separated and ostracized in offense and saying my way and not everybody else's way. That's staying humble. I, I don't. Uh, I can I can get down with people that are in transition seasons. I can get down with people that are still trying to find their feet. But I cannot get down with people that tell me uh, I can't be in a church. I, I love God. I'm following Jesus. But I just haven't found a church that I can be a part of. 
That's that's good for six months, and then I don't believe you anymore. <laughs> because all I hear is I can't get along with others, and that's not Jesus. That's not Jesus. Okay, because if you really love Him, you're going to love people. You're going to keep His commandments, and you're going to find a way to be Christ to others. You're going to find a way to work with others. You're going to find a way to love people in spite of the fact that they don't believe the same doctrines as you. Because <laughs> there's a lot of people that God, God is using. They don't believe exactly like you do. But you can tell God's leading them. And you know them by their fruit. Not by how well they can spell out what they believe. Amen. All that's important. Don't mishear me. All that's important. But I, I look at the fruit. The fruit is the best doctrine, I think. <laughs> If you're if you've got love and you've got joy and you've got peace and you're walking in what God's calling to do, we can work together. We can work together. But if you're nitpicky about details and, and doctrines and you're offensive and you're divisive and you find reasons to separate from others and you can't be a part of this church because they don't got it exactly right. And I can't be a part of this church because they don't got it exactly right. You're, you're in dangerous ground in terms of humility. Amen. Amen. Stay humble. Stay receptive. Hallelujah. Pouring into that relationship with him, I guarantee you it's a formula. You are going to know what you're called to do. Uh, I can remember some of my earliest experiences. I'm just going to share this for context, I guess. Some of my earliest experiences was uh, I, I would I would spend time praying in college and, you know, college student. We think we don't have a lot of time. We probably do. <laughs> but what time I did have uh, that I wasn't, you know, trying to get Natalie to marry me, uh, I was praying and I was seeking God. And, and some of my first impressions that I, I recognize now as God's leadership in my life is I would see myself preaching in front of other people. And I would I would get these pictures and they would just come to me. And I thought it was just my imagination, you know, like I was imagining myself in front of people like sharing and talking. And I would be and I was super expressive and crazy. And I don't know if anybody knows Billy Sunday. (laughs) Anybody ever heard of Billy Sunday? He was he was not your meek and mild country preacher. He was he was throwing chairs across the stage. And it was a touch of that. Okay, (laughs) I wasn't throwing chairs, but it was a touch of that. And uh, and I would see this picture of me, and uh, I could tell you, you know, there's there's a uh, there's a walking that out. But some of the first images I got from prayer is he would start to show me things like that, and uh, and so after a while you start to realize, okay, I'm I'm called to preach. That's at least part of what I'm called to do. And then there's other things that he adds along to it and. And, and he will he will give you the open doors and he'll give you the opportunities and he'll step you off into what what you're needing to do. And everybody is unique. Everybody say unique. unique. I can't give you you can't emulate the way God led me. You'll never be able to reproduce it. You'll never be able to reproduce anybody else that tells you how God led them. But what you can do is spend time with him. What you can do is read the word and get to know who he is and fellowship with him. And what he brings forward will grow and be added to and be added to. And over time, everybody say time. Over time, what he does is he grows up the image of what you're supposed to be doing. And he grows up the image of his leadership in your life to the place where you can't miss it. 
And then there's going to be things that happen that he'll step you in and say, this is the move you're going to make. And, and, and you have to take those steps. You have to be obedient. You have to. That's the fleshing out of the theory. Okay. Everybody say fleshing out. <laughs> I mean, a good kind of fleshing out, not the bad kind of fleshing out. <laughs> okay. That's so. So you I had those pictures early on, but then you have to flesh it out. That means when people ask you to preach, you got to stand up here and. You have to knock your knees, you know, you have to be afraid. You have to make a thousand mistakes. You got to figure things out. And, and, and that's all part of following God. I'm so grateful for, for what God was able to, to, uh, to, to do when, when I was pastor here. And some of you remember some of my first services. I know, I know, uh, I know many of you do. Uh, I think it was Daryl and Francis's first day at the church was my first time preaching here, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah, that was that was my first time preaching here, <laughs> and I, I just I just remember all of the emotions that went with that, and all of the you know there's things in your soul that have to adapt to the image that God has given you. There's things in your soul that have to be worked out, the emotions, and the experiences, and the self perceptions. There's no way to get out of that except practicing what He gives you. Everybody say practice. And I can tell you right now, I thoroughly enjoy doing this. <laughs> I love it. It's in me. It's something that God knew was in me. And it's something that God wanted me to do. But when I first started doing it, I was afraid. I was petrified. And I was so self-conscious. I didn't know how to step. You know, I was just like, God, I don't want to do this. You know. But I knew I was being obedient. And even though it was scary, I tell you what's worse than scary is sitting still. I'll tell you what's worse than risk. It's playing it safe. And I would rather somebody take some steps of obedience and do what God's called them to do and make mistakes along the way and give some bad words to people and preach some things that maybe could have been tweaked a little bit better than sit down on their on their hands and never try anything and live in fear. Everybody say fear. Because what God will bring you, the only thing that can stop what God will bring you in your leadership is fear and doubt. And those things are what will stifle growth. Those things are what will stop you from stepping off what you're called to do. Maybe God's calling you to start a business and he's given you a very clear picture of what that's supposed to be. At some point, you have to start it. (laughs) At some point, you have to step it off. At some point, you have to create the plan. Amen. And all those there's details involved in all that. There's planning, there's. There's a research, whatever it may be that God is asking you to do. But I would just challenge you to spend where you grow those things is in your personal time with him. And where I have made mistakes, if you want to learn from mistakes I've made, where I have made mistakes is in not staying humble and assuming I knew what God was doing. Where I have made mistakes is where I've stepped up and I've tried to Take some of the words that he's given me. And I says, I can take care of that. Let's let's make this happen. Yes. Amen. And when you do that, you just have to repent and say, I've missed it. Forgive me. I didn't mean to. Let's move on. But there are also times where we plateau. Can everybody say plateau? plateau. And you don't have to plateau at all. But there are places where we get comfortable and we get tired and we get weary and well-doing, Paul says. We stop sowing to the spirit. 
we stop sowing to our relationship with God, we become dull of hearing and we don't we're not staying sensitive to what he's bringing us. And those are seasons where you make more and more and more mistakes because you're not staying close to him. Because relationship with him is not supposed to be a stagnant, dry thing. It's supposed to be a growing, thriving, vibrant thing. Amen. You know, with, with, with my wife, when we, when we had our honeymoon phase, it's real easy in the, in the middle of those emotions to stay excited and close. Right? But when we've got four kids and you've you got to do the dishes and you've got to feed all of them and, and there's a lot of family things going on and there's plans and there's people and there's, you know, it's a, it's a what do they call it? It's a traffic controller. <laughs> you know, just, there's a thousand things going on and, and sometimes the intentionality gets left behind with you and your wife. And if you're not intentional, everybody say intentional. If you are not intentional about that relationship, if you're not sowing into that relationship, a lot of times what you see is once the kids leave the house, there's no more reason for them to be together. And I do not want to wake up in 15 years and realize I don't have a relationship with my wife. And I do not want to wake up in the courts of heaven and realize I didn't really have a relationship with God. I do not want to go there and realize I was at church and I was doing volunteer work and I had my my devotional plan and I was stuck in the mud and I didn't actually have a vibrant, living, thriving, moving relationship with God. Amen. We don't want to hit those plateaus. We don't want to. It's not a coasting holding pattern in church. It's not come and hear a service and go back and live your life. There's no such thing. If you're following God, you're following God. If he's challenged, he's going to continue to challenge you and grow you. He's going to teach you new tricks. I, I, I firmly believe this. God, I, if I'm 60 and he's not teaching me new things, something's wrong. If I'm 60 and he's not giving me new ways to express our relationship together, something's wrong. Because he's going to continue to challenge you and he's going to continue to grow you and he's going to continue to let that fruit abound in your life. Amen. Let's go to Second Peter. How's everybody doing this evening? Everybody all right? You not falling asleep on me or anything? Okay. <laughs> it's, you know, you get comfy and we, we had a big meal today and it's nice and toasty in here. And just kind of... Second Peter. Second Peter. We'll start here in verse one, uh, chapter one, verse one. Simon Peter, a servant and apostle of Jesus Christ to them that have obtained like precious faith with us through the righteousness of God and our Savior, Jesus Christ. You notice how everybody has the same starting point. You notice what he said there? It's of equal standing. It's the same faith. Okay. Everybody in here has the same starting point, but you're the steward of it. You're the steward of that faith of equal standing. Okay. Grace and peace be multiplied unto you through the knowledge of God and of Jesus, our Lord. According as his divine power hath given unto us all things that pertain unto life and godliness through the knowledge of him that hath called us to glory and virtue 
whereby are given to us exceeding great and precious promises that by these you might be partakers of the divine nature. Praise God. Amen. Is that in your Bible? That's that's a powerful promise. You're a partaker of the divine nature of God. Whereby are given unto us exceeding great and precious promises that by these you might be partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. Don't be re-entangled in that. Amen. And beside this, give all diligence. Everybody say diligence. Giving all diligence, add to that faith that you got in Christ, add to that faith, virtue, and to virtue, knowledge, and to knowledge, temperance, self-control, and to self-control or temperance, patience, and to patience, godliness. Let's just keep reading and I'll go back. And to godliness, brotherly kindness, and to brotherly kindness, charity. For if these things, notice he doesn't say, you see how he says if, but he's he's preaching to the church, but he says if. So you can have faith in Christ, but if these things, in other words, it's possible to have a faith in Christ that does not take diligence and bring the fruit of these divine nature attributes into your life. They're there, but if you're not practicing them, if you're not growing in them, if you're not obeying those attributes that come from knowing him, they're not being added. They're not they're not changing you and they're not impacting the world around you. Okay. For if these things be in you and abound, everybody say abound. That's a conditional thing. Everybody's got the same starting point. Everybody starts with the same faith, but the love of God can abound in one person and not abound in another. Faithfulness can abound in one person and not abound in another. Joy can abound in one person and not abound in another. Self-control can abound in one person and not abound in another. Why? Because of your family, because of your situation, because of your circumstance? No, because you did not take diligence in walking in obedience to the nature that God gave you. Because you did not take up and that relationship isn't bearing fruit and you're not giving it a priority. So you're becoming a dry and thirsty well. You're being the Israelites in the Old Testament that have separated themselves from God. And you're going into you're going into exile in your own little world. You may come to church, you may park your car next to everybody else's, but you're you're going into your own personal exile and you don't love anybody. You're always offended. You're always upset with other people and you're casting yourself out of the promised land that God has given you. Amen. Give all diligence, add to your faith, add to your faith these things. Okay, to godliness, brotherly kindness, brotherly kindness, charity, for if these things be in you and abound, They make you that you shall neither be barren nor unfruitful. Man, I don't want to be unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. But he that lacketh these things is blind and cannot see afar off. And he hath forgotten that he was purged, cleansed, pruned from his old sins. Wherefore, the rather, brethren, give diligence to make your calling and election sure. For if you do these things... 
Everybody say do. If you do these things, you shall never fall. You shall never fall. It's not the... I don't know how to say this. It starts with faith in Christ, but real faith in Christ manifests itself in walking it out in obedience. Real faith in Christ doesn't just speak about who God is. It lives who God is. It's practice. Okay. And in the same way that you step up when, when you know you're called to preach and that first opportunity, God opens a door and you, you're supposed to come preach. You come practice it and you make a thousand mistakes and you knock your knees together. And when somebody wrongs you or somebody curses you out or offends you, you have an opportunity right then and there to practice the love of God for that person. You have an op- you. You may look inward and say, well, that didn't feel very good. And then what are you going to respond to? You're going to respond to who Christ made you to be. or You're going to respond to how you feel. You're going to respond to how you've always responded. You're going to respond to who you used to be. Or you're going to respond to Christ in you, the hope of glory. And you're going to take steps into who God has called you to be. And maybe that first time where somebody wrongs you and you step off and Forgive them and learn to love them. That first time might be the hardest time, but I guarantee you, you're going to abound in that. The more you practice it, the more you give diligence to it. And I'm, I i don't know. I hope this communicates. Everybody shake themselves real quick because this is something really important. I feel like I, I just I hope I can communicate it. I see it real clear. There is only one reason why things remain impossible. And I hope this makes sense. It's because you believe it's impossible. There is only one reason why you think you can't forgive that person. And that's because your mind is telling you that. I don't know if that's communicating. I need to keep saying it different ways. There is only one reason why you keep responding in anger and frustration to situations you can't control. And that's because you think that's the way you have to respond. You don't have to respond that way. There's only one reason why you lose patience with your wife and kids because you can't control everything. And that's because you think you have to respond that way. You don't. You don't. Everything that's in your life that you know right now doesn't look like Christ can change like that. But you need to believe it. You need to start with admitting to yourself I, that can change. It doesn't have to stay the same. And the quicker I can get my mind around the fact that what I'm doing maybe doesn't look like Christ, but I don't have to stay that way. It changes. But the longer, the longer that I hold it up and I say, this is who I am. The longer that I validate it, the longer that I justify it, the longer I keep pointing back and say, well, I've always been a hot headed kind of guy. (laughs) It's going to take you forever. Why? Because you're a hot kind of headed kind of guy. No, you got the same standing of faith that everybody else does. You think Paul wasn't a hot headed kind of guy before he got saved? I bet he was. Stop excusing yourself. You got born again. You got born again. You didn't get refreshed. You got born again. You are not who you used to be. You got born again. And who you are now is not who you used to be. It's who he made you to be when you got born again. You are not born of your parents. You are born of the spirit of the living God. And you need to have faith in who he made you to be and let those attributes abound and give expression to the love of God in you. Because the love of God is in you if you've been born again. 
the joy and temper. You say, well, I've never been a temperate person. I always let my, you know, I always eat too much. I've always had a healthy appetite. My, my parents were the same way. Fruit of the Spirit is self-control. I don't know how to get off Netflix. Get off Netflix. I don't know how to spend less time on my phone. Stop thinking about it and obey the conscience that's on the inside. Stop trying to find ways to trick yourself out of who you think you really are. You need to redefine who you really are to yourself. There have been so many things that just need to change because you need to change them, not because you need to realize some new revelation about God. You just need to change stuff. Everybody with me. There's nothing stopping you from completely a transformation right now today in your life, except that you believe it's not possible. Am I saying it enough ways to where it's hitting you to where you understand the power that's that's resident on the inside of you right now to change things that have been stagnant, that are plateaus, that have left you stuck where you don't feel like God can move You are one turn repentance, forgiveness, heart wrenching, mourning, joy to mourning, repentance towards God, and he will lift you up. Turn from those things and repent and you change. There, you know, any, any, I don't think there's any parent alive. If there are, come, come send them to me so they can teach me. That haven't found out that there's times as you get frustrated and you get, you get a little, I, I think my wife is probably the closest thing to a perfect parent I've ever seen personally. Cause she helped from a young age raise all of her siblings. And so she's used to a certain amount of chaos, you know. But me, I came from a family of, I had one sister and everything was very neatly divided and everything was very just. And we, we just, we, we, we had, you know, Every problem was sorted through, you know, what was right, who did wrong with her family. You know, you'd be lucky if you ever got one case in your favor. <laughs> it's quiet, quiet, all of you, you know, or spank all of you. You're making too much noise. You know. <laughs> my point is this. There have been times in my walk, in my parenting, where I felt like between me and God and my family, how do I respond to my kids was the biggest thing on my heart. Because I didn't want to respond out of anger. Anybody with me? Being real, okay? I don't want to respond out of anger. If I want to spank my kids, I don't want to spank my kids because I'm angry in the moment. I want to spank them because they're wrong. And they need to know and they need to see it from a a level-headed dad, not a hot-headed dad. Understand? They need to know I'm angry. But (laughs) you know what I mean. (laughs) And God will tell me things in the moment that just shake me, you know? And there have been times where I have I have not dealt justly with my kids and and the Lord would tell me, he says, you know why the only reason why you act that way towards your kids? Because there's nothing they can do about it. Because <laughs> they're young, they're small. Am I hitting anybody? You don't care about what they think about you. You're your dad, you know. And we do, we do this with family. Everybody say Family. And we say, well, we, you know, we let our walls down. We let our be ourselves when we're at home. We're family. No, family is the real mirror of where you're at with your relationship and obeying God. Because you're most comfortable around those people. You're most at home. 
your, 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 the habits that, are, that you allow, that you grow, or what is expressed. See? And I have endeavored in my life, if I'm going to correct my kids at home, I'm going to correct them the same way in public. You see me out in Walmart, my kids are acting up, and I say, stop it. They know I'll spank them right there. Right? <laughs> and we have to endeavor to be a people. Especially with our families. Everybody say families. With our families, that's going to be the first litmus test, the first real mirror of where some of that fruit is growing. Because you need to love your families the same way that Christ loved you. And you don't get to say, well, they're my family. You don't get to say, well, those are my kids. You don't get to say, well, that's my wife. You know, she knows how I am. You know, my wife, I want, I want the testimony to be from my wife and my kids as we saw dad go like this every single year. We saw dad go from somebody that had some issues, maybe wasn't patient all the time, but he became more and more and more and more patient. He became more and more and more and more loving. He became more and more and more and more temperate. He became more and more and more a better steward of his body, a better steward of his diet. He became a better steward of who he was supposed to be. He walked in more and more understanding. You shouldn't see plateaus. We shouldn't create excuses in churches where we've been in church 30 years and we haven't changed things and they're chronic. That's not following God. God is going to grow you up and those things are going to abound. Everybody say abound in you. The love of God is going to abound in you. The temperance of God is going to abound in you. The peace of God is going to abound in you. The joy of God is going to abound in you. And you need to set your relationship with Him as a priority. Amen. Amen. I think I preached it all out. Everybody with me. Uh, I hope that made sense. If it didn't, continue to meditate on it and pray. Because the only reason things don't change, there's just something up here that's got to switch. And if you had faith towards God about the thing that you think is binding you, you may be it from a perspective right now where you say, I'm but a, I'm but a grasshopper in the sight of that thing. And, and all it takes is a moment where God, whether He reveals it to you, you start to believe, you start to step things off, and you start to realize it's not that hard. It's not that hard to obey God in some of these things. Amen. Amen. Is Natalie up here? She's not, is she? That's okay. Hallelujah. Sorry. Oh, yeah, Zach. Zach, would you come play? Thank you. (laughs) Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Praise you, Jesus. Praise you, Jesus. Praise you, Jesus. Father, we worship you. We praise you. We give you all the honor and the glory.
praise you, Father. Praise you, Father. Praise you, Father. So some of you, maybe this is the only night that you're coming. And and I don't want any prayer requests that you want to have agreement on to not have an opportunity to be prayed for. So if you want to come up and just receive prayer for anything, when somebody's praying for you, let us know, I'm up here for this. Agree with me. But particularly what I feel like the Lord's heart is tonight is with regard to plateaus. Everybody say plateaus. There's these places of stagnancy where there hasn't been a lot of growth or change. And God is beckoning you to, to <laughs> kick, the, kick the wall down <laughs> in a nice way to put it. He's beckoning you to, to step out of the mold, to redefine who you are in some things. Maybe they could be calling things. They could just be character things. They could be family things. They could be how you relate to your kids. But there's places of stagnancy where your relationship with God has plateaued. And it doesn't mean that God hasn't been working with you or that he hasn't been leading you in areas. But how many of you know the little little foxes spoil the vine? It's the little things that crop up and end up cutting our fruit short, cutting our life short. And there are areas of refreshing that God wants to bring forward in places that we have not allowed him or our patterns of behavior have not allowed him. And they damage us. And he doesn't want that. He hates the things that damage you. You know that. That's why he hates sin. Part of the reason he hates sin, it's for your sake. So I want to I want to specifically call up anybody that has something like that, where they feel like they've plateaued in their relationship with God, whether it's a habit he's been asking them to break, because he says in James, I give grace to the humble, grace to the humble. So I want to invite everyone up here to whom that applies. And we want to agree with you and pray with you. It doesn't really matter. I'm going to have Nathan come up here and I'm going to have mom come up here. We're all going to pray for uh, for you in those things and just be open to receive any word that they have in the moment. If this place is full up front, just wait. Just wait for it to empty out. Okay? But but uh, we're going to go ahead and do that. So, so Father, we just thank you right now. At, before they all come up, I thank you for your grace and your fire and your ability and your power to be present in this place of agreement right here that we would be able to receive that grace that we need. We would humble ourselves and receive the correction and the rebuke and the change that we need to make and by faith take steps of obedience and give diligence to what you've called us to do in every area of our life. And everybody say, amen. I know it's nine o'clock. If you have to go quietly, go out the back. But otherwise, I'd ask that you prayerfully stay in agreement up here with those that are receiving. So if that fits you or if you have something else, please come up. And and Mom and Nathan, come up and we're all going to agree. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus.